Mission Log, A Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast, Episode 137, Q-Who. Knock, knock. Who's there? Q? Q-Who? Yay! Yay! That's so... Oh, yeah. man, that is the easiest... People have no idea how much, how much, uh, like, uh, how stressful it is to write an open to the show. But this one uh, just wrote itself, didn't it? It did. It did. We we will spend easily like three minutes before we record <laughs> looking out an opening <laughs> today, even less. No, yeah, we actually wrote this week's opening last week. We did. Yeah. So uh, wow, yeah. I feel like we're so far ahead of the game. By the way, the game is Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Thank you as always for joining us. I'm Ken Ray. Hey, and I'm John Champion, and each week, well, hopefully you know what we do by now, we examine an episode of Star Trek frame by frame, bit by bit, second by second, and we try to figure out what works and what it's trying to say. This week, it's Q-Who, but you knew that, right? <laughs> Probably so. It's, I think it was implied in the uh, in the open. Yeah. Hey, we would love to hear from... Uh, by the way, John said, hopefully you know what we do by now, but you know, if you're new to the show... Awesome. We are so glad to have you. And uh, and let me tell you, we would love to hear from you. Uh, there are a few ways to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. Uh, if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can. Our phone number is 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. And our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. You can also leave comments there. And remember, wherever you leave comments, we may use them on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Ken, before we go into trivia, I uh, have an announcement to make that this week's trivia segment is sponsored by the novel Remember the Roller Dogs, written by Matthew Corey. Now, that is a name that we will hear more about in a future edition of Mission Log. Okay. Oh, yes, we will. Wait a minute. That's that's like a key phrase for you. Does that mean that uh, Matthew Corey is actually a pseudonym for DC Fontana? Well, you, you would think, you would think, but no, not not actually this time. Um, but the real Matthew Corey, mm-hmm. you can uh, learn more about him and his novel, Remember the Roller Dogs, uh, easy enough at Amazon.com. Just go to Amazon.com, search for Matthew Corey or Remember the Roller Dogs. Uh, the book is available in both paperback and for Kindle. And will I find out what a roller dog is? Uh, you will if you read the book. Uh, do you want me to spoil it? Because no. I, I, I don't think I should do that. I'm short on time. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. Okay, don't do that. <laughs> okay. Well, just remember that Remember the Roller Dogs, the novel from Star Trek The Next Generation contributor Matthew Corey, is available exclusively at Amazon.com in paperback and for the Kindle. And now, on with the trivia. So, Ken, uh, today's episode was written by Maurice Hurley. Now, This is the first appearance of a fearsome new enemy for the crew of the Enterprise to face. But it's worth remembering that this was a long time coming. So remember, way, way back into the end of season one, we had Conspiracy, in which an insect-like race of beings had taken over humans and Starfleet. And then we had the Neutral Zone, in which the Federation and the Romulans were both investigating outposts that had just been scooped up and presumably destroyed. Now, these were attempts by Hurley to work in a new enemy, 
something that could replace the Ferengi who didn't so much come across as the series-long bad guys they were meant to be. Finally, now that time and budget would allow, and the writer's strike was a distant memory, this new enemy, the Borg, could be fleshed out. And uh, by the way, the budget didn't exactly allow. They they still went over by about $50,000. But but that's all right, because we learned earlier that in season two, they could borrow money from other episodes down the road. Um, so the Borg were originally thought of as insects. And in that way, you can think of conspiracy as the unrealized lead-in to Q who with that reference in uh, in the neutral zone. Uh, today's episode was directed by Rob Bowman. And speaking of those two, Rob Bowman and Maurice Hurley, it, it is both of their voices and additional voices that uh, created the Borg voice that we hear in the episode. Uh, now, this show won two Emmy Awards, uh, one for sound editing and one for sound mixing. It was nominated for uh, a special effects award, um, but actually War and Remembrance won that year. And um, there was an Art Direction Award. Uh, Star Trek was nominated for uh, it, it, for a different episode. It was nominated in Art Direction. But I, I'm afraid that actually that year, that award went to Moonlighting. So, <laughs> so we'll get to circle back around to that. That's uh, awesome. That's, yeah. So that must have been the black and white episode, right? Oh, it has to be. You yeah, because I can't imagine what other episode of Moonlighting would have won for a... Uh, well, I guess there was the Taming of the Shrew episode oh, as well, so yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we will. You're right. We'll have to talk about this in 15 to 20 years. We will. We will. Um, now, there's a, a reference, by the way, to an imp. Uh, I, I believe Q calls Guinan an imp. And uh, for any of those who, who didn't know us, I didn't know the exact definition, but it, that is a little devil or a demonic spirit specifically. And uh, Tim Trella is uh, he's primarily a stuntman, but here he's uncredited uh, in an actor role in a Borg costume. Now, his stunt work is plentiful and varied, uh, dating back to the 80s. Um, he, he's been in Captain America. Uh, he, he's been in Glee. He was in Titanic. He was in Tales from the Crypt. Just a huge number of stunt roles that I'm- he was getting. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, Captain America, like the bad TV series or no, you, you, Captain you America, wish. the recent movies? Yeah, the, the recent movies. Oh, okay, cool, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Ensign Sonia Gomez was played by Lysia Naff. And uh, what we have here is the first appearance of a character who we hope will be a continuing presence on the Enterprise. That, that is the way that she is designed, uh, serving as a kind of comedic foil. And uh, please remember that I said that because we will talk about her again next week as we trace her career with Starfleet, the uh, the ensign Sonia Gomez role. Um, now, Naff, the actress, uh, Lucia Naff, you may remember from appearances on shows like The Equalizer, Max Headroom, you know, very cool show that we've talked about before. But Ken, I think her most visually memorable appearance was probably her moment in Total Recall, the yeah. original with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, uh, dear. Yeah, in which she played a prostitute on Mars who is sporting one too many breasts. Well, you say one too many. <laughs> let's, let's say an unusual number. Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> and, uh, and by the way, you're on duty for the uh, Facebook page next week. Mm, great. Because that, that picture, um, 
Yeah. Not going up. Not going up. <laughs> oh, I imagine it will, but uh, <laughs> yeah, coming down fairly quickly, I think. I am kind of excited about the episode Q Who. Since we first saw him, I have wondered what Q's last name is. I am also hoping they say what the Q stands for. Prologue. In engineering, we meet Ensign Sonia Gomez, a young woman who's got a bad case of the first day on the job jitters. She's babbling to Jordy about her assignment when she accidentally bumps into Captain Picard while she's holding a cup of hot chocolate. He takes it marginally better than getting hit in the face with a snowball. Gomez tries to unfluster herself and Picard heads to his quarters to change into a dry uniform. When his turbo lift opens, though, Picard finds himself not in the corridor he expected, but rather he is in the cockpit of an Enterprise shuttlecraft. Only one entity could have pulled off that trick, and he's at the controls. It's Q, and he has transported Picard and the shuttle very far away from the Enterprise. Act 1. In 10 forward, Guinan is having a kind of a strange feeling. She's not sure what it is, but something isn't right. She calls the bridge, but they can't put their finger on anything weird. A little while later, Gomez and Jordy are hanging out in there as well. Jordy tries to give the young ensign some advice when he notices Guinan isn't quite right. She's stumped. She's got the uneasies, and she's got them bad. On the bridge, Dana Troy comes strolling in and asks where the captain is. Oh, right, the captain. Riker just assumes he's in his quarters, but the computer can't seem to locate him. He's off the ship. You want to know what also is weird? Shuttlecraft 6 is missing from the hangar bay, according to Worf. Whoa. Time to slow things down and think things through. Riker calls for an extensive search. They're going to go in circles if they have to in order to locate the shuttle and, assuming he's on board, Captain Picard. On that very shuttle, somewhere unknown, Q is taunting Picard. And Picard, as usual, has just about had it up to here. Q wants something. He wants Picard's attention. Picard is not exactly in the mood to negotiate, though. He demands to be back on his ship. Then they can talk. Okay? Easy enough for Q. A snap of the fingers and a flash of light later, the two are now in ten forward. Guinan is weirded out, is perplexed, and Riker is amused. Act 2. Here's some news. Guinan and Q know each other. We're not really sure how, but it was a long time ago, and there is no love lost between these two. Q is about to use his powers. Guinan is about to do some karate kid stuff, I think. It looks like it's about to turn nasty before Picard gets in the way. Q then makes his desire known. He wants to become a part of the crew. He's already sporting the uniform. Oh, and his other job has dried up. Apparently, you can be too much of an ass even for other people like Q. Picard is intrigued. There is something to be learned from Q, after all, and that's what they're supposed to do. Still, Q is untrustable, and Picard feels like he and his crew can make it on their own. Famous last words. Q snaps, and the Enterprise is thrown 7,000 light years away. It would take more than two years at maximum warp to get back to the nearest starbase. What's the game here? Q is doing Picard a favor, but with a very dark undertone. This, he says, is a glimpse of the future. Don't be so smug. You have no idea what's waiting for you out there. When Q disappears in a flash of light, Picard asks Guinan about where they are since her people have been there. Her warning is more ominous than Q. 
She says to turn around now. So Picard does exactly the opposite. Time to explore a little. After all, they are the first Federation ship out this way. What could go wrong? Look, there's even a Class M planet nearby. We could stop by, have a look. Oh, well, there there are no more cities on the planet, just roads and then deep scars where a civilization once existed. Before they can look into it anymore, a bizarre cube-shaped ship shows up and scans the Enterprise. No weapons, no known propulsion, no life signs, just nothing on the cube. They don't even talk back when Picard sends out a hail. Gaina knows what's up, though. The beings in that ship are called the Borg, and they displaced or destroyed all of Guinan's people more than a hundred years ago. They're dangerous. In engineering, Geordi notices an intruder, a humanoid that seems mostly machine, examining the Enterprise computers. Act 3. Let's get to know this visitor, shall we? Two arms, two legs, doesn't say a whole lot. It's covered in technology of some sort, and it's really not interested in the crew of the Enterprise, just in the technology of the Enterprise. Picard asks Worf to try to stop it, but that's no good either. Phasers seem to have little effect, until one does. When that board drops to the ground, another one materializes. This time the phaser has no effect at all, and the second one retrieves some technology off the first one before they both beam away. In the conference room, the senior staff plus Guinan are short on answers. Guinan explains that they are relentless, they come in force, and they don't negotiate. Finally, this new enemy breaks its silence. The Enterprise can be beaten, and any defensive maneuver will result in punishment. Deanna has the inside track. This is a collective mind with no central leadership. Good way to minimize mistakes. Even Q pops in to make a case for being added to the crew roster. Picard still isn't interested. Now the Borg are getting more aggressive. The cube ship has captured the Enterprise in a tractor beam, preventing the Enterprise from any kind of escape. A quick phaser burst does nothing. Then a beam from the Borg ship slices through the hull of the Enterprise, coring it like an apple. A few more phaser blasts stop the intrusion, but now the Enterprise has a hole in her hull. And that's not before 18 crew members are gone. Q shows up again to remind Picard that this is really happening. It's not an illusion Engineering has got the shields online again, and Riker has decided to take a landing party right into dangerous territory, aboard the Borg ship. Act 4. On the Borg ship, Riker, Data, and Worf find a whole lot of Borg. They're standing around doing nothing, kind of asleep while hooked up to wall panels. All the Borg, according to Data, are interconnected, allowing them all, the whole ship, to think as one. When one awakes, it doesn't seem interested in the Enterprise landing party. It goes about its work. These three are just not a threat to whatever the Borg are trying to do. Even more bizarre, there is a Borg nursery. Lots of little Borg stashed away in mechanical drawers until they're big enough to do adult Borg things. Data makes an assumption that the Borg are collectively regenerating the ship around them, focusing their efforts there. Well, that's all Picard needs to hear. He beams the away team back right away. Good plan. But as the Enterprise pulls away at high warp, the Borg keep up to stay in pursuit. Even launching photon torpedoes does nothing to stop the Borg from gaining. To add insult to injury, Q shows up on the bridge one more time to rub it in Picard's face. You are doomed. Act 5. 
things are not looking good. The Borg ship keeps coming, and now it has a weapon that is draining the Enterprise shields. Every time Worf fires a photon torpedo with a thing, they just explode with causing no damage. Then the Enterprise warp engines and shields fail with the Borg cube right on their tail. If the Enterprise fires another volley of torpedoes, they risk damaging themselves more than the Borg cube. Can't run, can't fight back, can't communicate with the enemy. Kobayashi Maru, table for two. Q, the only one with any power to do anything about this, pops in as he's leaving. What? Picard uses the last thing he can to get Q's help. He begs. He admits that he and his crew are unprepared and need Q to save them. That's all he needed to hear. A snap of the fingers and the Enterprise flings back to where it was before they started. A bit of a warning and an I told you so linger in Q's wake as he disappears. It's not over, though. Picard later confers with Guinan. She warns that all of this unfolded sooner than it should have, and Picard sees what lies ahead. The Borg will be back, but perhaps Q's involvement will drag the Federation out of complacency, ready for what is to come. The end. Nicely done, sir. Thank you. Yeah, no problem at all. Ken, um, you and I, when we record the show, we've mentioned before that maybe we'll have a cup of tea nearby mm-hmm. uh, our computers. And, and we're careful, you know, because we don't want to have a, an explosion as we're recording. But I was thinking that Sonia Gomez, mm-hmm. when, when she has her cup of hot chocolate, uh, she sort of gets uh, uh, criticized by Jordy for having food and engineering. And I thought, A... Why can't you have food and engineering? Because there's a replicator right there. <laughs> right. And yeah it, yeah, it could make machine parts and stuff. It can also make hot chocolate. And, and what exactly will happen if she spills some hot chocolate on a glass panel 24th century computer? Because yeah. if it would explode, then Starfleet needs a new contractor. You know, it's the glass panel part. Exactly. It's a glass panel with a touch screen. I don't know yeah. if you've ever uh, gotten your iPad wet. Or, or, you know, anything, but you can put a drop of water on an iPad or if you're walking in the rain with your iPhone, you can, yeah. I mean, water falls on that and you're fine. Right, right. I would think, you know, 300 years from now. <laughs> yeah. That the, yeah. the, the, the ability to keep water out of a computer surface would, would, would be even better, especially when there's not a single button or there's not even like a click pad. It's, right. it's all touchscreen. Right. It's yeah. all touchscreen. I would think that, that would be okay. Now, I do think, though, that there is no replicator in engineering. No? No. Um, I, I think the replicator is not in engineering. It's only about uh, three steps away, though, and the line between the two is invisible because she, she, you know, she, she does go over to the replicator. She does order the hot chocolate. Mm-hmm. They do then stroll back to engineering, but that stroll takes maybe five seconds because it's maybe three steps. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and that's why. Right. So all of a sudden, she's crossed this invisible line. She's like, oh, I shouldn't even have this here. And, yeah. and so she's on her way to stand, you know, back over by the replicator. It's sort of like they make you eat over the sink. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right. Right. Yeah. Hey, uh, did you notice that uh, Gomez must have joined the crew while Data was on trial? Um, she joined at Starbase 173, and that's where they were when, uh, when Measure of a Man took place. Seriously? Yeah. Well, we may have been back. Come on, uh, well, we, yeah, we may have but, stopped yeah. back by because there's no way that 
you're the best of the best, Sonia, and that's why I requested you. But, you know, I'm glad we haven't talked for like <laughs> eight <laughs> right. months, at least not when there's a camera around. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I have a question about um, how the Enterprise is set up. Yeah. Uh, would you not think that the second that the captain goes missing or that the second uh, a shuttle disappears – that some light would turn on or some buzzer would buzz or you know something like that. <laughs> right. I, and, right. and, and I, I, I don't want to think that, you know, our every move is watched in, in the 24th century, although but there's no is. reason to think that it wouldn't be. <laughs> right. But here's the thing. Uh, if, if the guy is the captain, right. Mm-hmm. I, I would think maybe some sort of tracker, some sort of locator. I mean, he does have the communicator badge right now as you and i are talking people are trying to figure out how to deploy beacon technology whether that's you know mm-hmm. based on android or based on uh, uh, uh ios or based on you know, the mac operating system uh, people are trying to you know figure out ways that we can sort of like you know ping little things like like cell phones and shoppers and 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 heavy equipment that we don't want to go missing right you would think there would be a beacon in the communicator badge and you would think that there would be a beacon honestly on a shuttlecraft and, yeah, I, and I would think that, you know, that 95, 99.8% of stuff that the computer is doing all the time yeah. might include making sure that important things don't go missing. <laughs> right. And then right. maybe telling somebody when something does. And then what? maybe telling somebody uh-huh. when those things come back. Right. It's only because Worf was looking down at his panel. He's like, oh, look, hey, our shuttlecraft's back. And then they're like, oh, you think the captain's back? <laughs> well, well, see, that's it. The the, the indicator light, it, it doesn't tell you when the shuttlecraft is gone. Right. It just tells you when it comes back. See, I don't even so know. That, that, do you think yeah. it was even an indicator light that did that, though? Because Worf was seriously standing there looking down at a panel. And then he's mm. like, oh, mm-hmm. huh. <laughs> a little cooler than that, but not much. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I wondered about that with the communicator badge because um, I would think that, you know, she, say that Picard takes a shower, mm-hmm. you know, and then at some point the communicator badge is off of him and it's just sitting in a room or hanging in a closet or something like that. Wow. And the, so the computer could see that, but not necessarily know that that's not with Picard. Well, that actually happened. Yeah. I can't remember. It was um, yeah. at the Naked Now, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 Jordy's yeah. getting the fever and, and he wants to be able to move around and have nobody find him. So take off his communicator badge and lay mm-hmm. it down. I would think, though, that uh, yeah, for somebody as important as the captain, you would just run a simple if this, then that routine. Like, <laughs> like OK, right, right. Is, is the communicator badge attached to the captain? No. Is the captain in the shower or in the loo? Yes. OK, well, then don't set off the alarm. Right. Right. Oh, man. By the you, way, you and I, I are going to run the tightest ship in the Federation or in Starfleet, whichever. And uh, Jordy getting the fever, that's a totally different episode. <laughs> we'll talk about that one later. That's a few episodes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you think that uh, Riker getting that goofy look on his face when uh, Picard shows up in Tin Ford is like he knows that Q is there? Because hmm. that's the only thing that I, I, that I think would make him get that smile on his face. Maybe he thinks he'll get his God powers back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought maybe he had just this misplaced idea of job well done. Yeah, <laughs> right. I was right. looking for the captain, and there's the captain. So I must have done something, and I feel pretty good about that. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's kind right. of my thinking. I had a question for you, actually. I like I like your take yeah. on you know. So uh, Guinan's going to do some Karate Kid stuff. Yeah. Uh, does she have like superpowers? I mean, because because Q Q's a little dramatic. Yeah, I mean with the costumes and the and the you know the French. <laughs> 
<laughs> and the right. hand gestures that are obviously not necessary. Yeah. But he, you know, he's got the hand gestures, and that usually indicates that something bad's about to happen, or something's about to happen anyway. All of a sudden, Guinan's there, like uh, like the Scarlet Witch, or or like yeah. Doctor Strange, or you know, in comic books they always, if you're going to do magic, there's big, you know, hand movements because it's right. an illustration. She's standing there like she's about to shoot bolts out of her hands. Yeah, can she? Yeah, I, I wondered about that. I, I thought that maybe she could. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, that's. Too bad we didn't get to see that happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, thank goodness Picard was there because otherwise, something exciting might have happened. Um, Q Q has a line um, that driving home my idea about the, uh, the the orphans of Starfleet. He says that the Enterprise is already home for the indigent, the unwanted, the unworthy. Yeah. <laughs> so all poetic. fit right in. Says yes. Q. Yeah. Yes. It's kind of interesting. I I did think about your your comments last week about it being a place for orphans when he said that i don't know if we take what q says though as as truth for the enterprise it does fit in nicely with what you were talking about but i mean come on q tends to denigrate the federation and the enterprise and 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 everything human yeah yeah, yeah. Well, he's you know again he, he's being dramatic, but he he's he's kidding on the square. There's always yeah. a little there's always a little truth to what he's saying. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, by the way, so we, when we meet the Borg mm-hmm. here, um, I, immediately I thought of the work of H.R. A- Giger, mm-hmm. the guy who designed Alien, and I, and I just kept thinking, you know, that stuff has always weirded me out, and, and it's designed to do so. It, it, it's this nightmare vision, and, and it's very effective here. It worked for Alien, um, and it worked for Captain EO, which predates this by uh, at least a couple of years. Um, and in that movie, the, the Michael Jackson, uh, Francis Ford Coppola directed, yeah. George Lucas produced. Angelica movie. Houston starring. Angelica Houston starring. Um, I tried so hard to get my wife to go there when we were at Disney World a few years ago because it's still running. Yeah. I yeah. couldn't get her to do it. I've seen it before. And and there's there's something about it. I, 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 the appeal that I made was, honey, you have to know your history. <laughs> right. But yeah. uh, no, she, she wouldn't buy it. Um, it. It's uncanny how much the characters in that look like the Borg, the, the bad guys. And, and believe me, we'll talk about Angelica Houston because maybe if the Borg had some sort of centralized character, if maybe in the future that were to happen, then you could even draw a parallel there. And see, thank goodness, though, that nothing like that will happen. I mean, what, what makes the Borg scary is the fact that they don't have any kind of, you know, any kind of leader thing. The fact that they do operate as sort of a, a collective. It's, I think it's great that there's no centralized leader. You know you're right, Ken. I yeah, I would hate to see anybody screw that up. That's yeah, what me makes too. Them That's good, you know. Uh, yeah. I can't imagine that anybody ever would. I mean, maybe if you were trying to dumb down something for like a bigger audience, maybe <laughs> then you maybe. might go ahead and do something like that. But thank goodness we're not dealing with. I mean, we're dealing with something much more highbrow here. We are. We are. Yeah. yeah that other stuff is crazy talk. Um, <laughs> incidentally, if you do look up the making of Captain EO uh, on YouTube. It was hosted by Whoopi Goldberg. Hmm. Get out! Another interesting connection, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's fascinating. I do have to ask a question about Guinan and the Borg. Yeah. So she's been freaked out, and it turns out she's not freaked out because uh, the Borg are coming, but because Q's there, right? Yeah. But then, you know, Q does his old snap in the fingers, and suddenly they're in Borg space, and she is sitting in 10 forward looking out the window at the Borg ship. 
quite a view, very dramatic. And then Picard says, can you go to your view screen? Because I want you to look at the ship. <laughs> right. And right. she does. Now, I'm guessing they just, I, I'm guessing it just seems silly to have her sitting there by a blank window. So they went ahead and, you know, just sort of put in the Borg thing, independent of what was happening in the script. Yeah. Because if if she's sitting there staring at it, yeah, you would think she would say, you know, I'm looking at it now. Or you know, just something uh, right. to keep from going, yeah. Gainan, can you stop looking at the Borg ship and go look at, you know, the Borg ship on a screen, please? <laughs> it'll be smaller right. and it'll take you time. Well, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. I'll be right there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking that what would show up on her view screen would be something from the bridge. It would be like, oh, we're, here's a, a scan. Here's information that we're getting. Tactical, off of this thing. maybe. Ta- yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, but no. No, different angle. Maybe they sent her a probe. So it's like, oh, here's here's what it looks like from the side. Oddly <laughs> right. enough, still a cube, but still yeah. you're getting a different. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, again, go back to your window. I'm sorry. I should have I should have asked what you were doing rather than just telling. I, you know, that's the problem of having like one central guy. Sometimes he'll be like, go do something stupid. Yeah. Oh, oh. But you don't have other people there to say, no, it's more efficient. It's better to do this other yeah, thing. You don't have all the people there to say that. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> Now, Q says that all the Borg are interested in is our technology. And I thought, that's great. Then we should be totally cool. There's no personal threat to our safety. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're just going to come in, look at our computers, and then go away. So fortunately, we can just look forward to that, that any time we come across the Borg, if we like throw a computer out the window, we're going (laughs) to stop and look at that, and we can get away. Yeah. yeah, maybe they're just checking for uh, OS updates every time. Yeah, like here, yeah. here's an old Commodore 64. So oh, nice. So chase after that for a while. Have a Newton. Yeah, have it's like have two. They're small. Yeah, it's like it's like throwing a it's like throwing a, a tennis ball for a dog. Just here, <laughs> go, go, go do that. Go assimilate that. That's yeah. a, assimilate. Wait, why are you saying? It's it's just a phrase. Do they? Just, oh, okay. Yeah. I had actually yeah. a question about. Uh, so when the board get there, should Jordy not be dead at the beginning of Act Three? He's mm. chief of engineering, right? Mm-hmm. You'd think he would have done something when the Borg show up and just start screwing with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Or maybe engineering would be a place to keep a security guard. You know, or right. two. I mean, it, it is it is the beating heart of the Enterprise. I yeah. like yeah. personally, I'd keep a security guard near the warp core. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a good point. Which is close to where the Borg were. It's kind of weird that they had to call for a security guard there. And it's also kind of weird that, you know, something comes and starts screwing with Jordy's equipment. Nothing kinky. And Jordy <laughs> says, uh, nothing. And he does nothing. He's like, oh, can, can somebody come here? Because there's a thing. Yeah. We have a visitor. Not intruder yeah. alert. And again, by the way, sensors on the Enterprise. Yeah, right. <laughs> something just right. appears on the ship. I mean, they're they're lucky that they started in engineering. What if they had started in? Um, what if they had started in the galley? Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. not mealtime. Although there is right. no galley actually because it's replicators. What if they had started in an abandoned hangar bay or a hangar bay where nobody was using anything? Mm-hmm. Could have been there for hours before That's we knew. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. 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 And. Uh, that was an interesting one. I mean, first of all, Jordy is thinking it's not in my job description to stop this thing. Uh, so I'm not. But when he does get security down there and you've got Picard and Worf and then Ensign somebody, Picard <laughs> says to Worf, Mr. Worf, stop that thing. So Mr. Worf 
does nothing except ask the other guy to stop the thing. <laughs> and then the thing throws that someone else across the room. What a great gig. Yeah. What a great job. Yeah, I'm a security officer. Yeah, I, I tell the other guy yeah. to do the security thing. Exactly. In Spaceballs, right. that would have been Mr. Worf, Ensign. Yeah. Ah. yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Looking down the line until there's nobody there. And just, uh, yeah. 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 I, I bet you and I are both thrilled that we had just loads of callbacks to previous episodes. See, it's interesting. You say loads of callbacks. I can only remember one, the neutral zone. Uh, neutral zone. Um, well, we it, it is a reference to conspiracy. Uh, we also had um, uh, hide and cue. Remember we were talking about oh, King, right, King, right, uh, right. God powers to Riker. We had encounter at Farpoint. Far point, yeah. We talked about uh, Q putting them on trial. That's so, right. Um, it's a, a cavalcade. I forgot uh, about that. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, because yeah, it's a bit. It's it, it's for people coming on, I guess, late in the series or later in the series. It, it's establishing. Look, we know who this guy is, so you yeah. don't have to explain to people. Well, I mean, you don't have to wait for people to catch up. You can just say, hey, you were a bad guy the first time we saw you and the second time we saw you. Oh, right, okay, so he's right. a bad guy. All right, got it. Or at yeah. least a tr- troublesome character, let's say. It's well done, and it's well done in a way that you don't have to have seen those episodes, but you establish him right away. Right. Uh, I, I really – I always like the idea of the cube ship because in space, aerodynamics don't matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you could literally just have a ship like look like whatever you want. I thought it was even – more interesting that there's no visible means of propulsion that the thing flies at an angle, which I, I thought was kind of strange. And I wondered if it always flies at the same angle, you know, or is that just for dramatic purposes? Um, and I, you know, it's funny. I remembered seeing this episode for the very first time when it first aired. And when we pull back, to that matte painting inside the Borg ship. And we see just the rows and rows and rows and rows of, of uh, kind of catwalks in there and all the, uh, the Borg crew members in there. Immediately, I thought of the big reveal in the miniseries V, that mm. the aliens were stockpiling humans for food. And for a moment, I thought that's what it was back, you know, back when I was 16 or whatever, watching this, because V had just aired maybe a couple of years before, three or four years before. And, uh, but I kind of thought the same thing again here, just watching it uh, for this show, that that, that matte painting looked like that other matte painting. It was very cool. Brought, brought me back to other science fiction that I liked. And by the way, since John did not say spoiler alert, <laughs> there's now no point in you going out and hunt, um, hunting up the Mark Singer classic V. There's always a reason to look up Mark Singer classics, uh, starting with V and then moving on to Beastmaster. And then going back to V. (laughs) Very interesting that the Borg fly a giant block through space. When I first saw the ship, I thought the Enterprise might have bumped into some Bogons. So Ensign Sonia Gomez, Gomez? Yeah. Ensign Sonia, Sonia Gomez. Gomez, her argument for being nice to machines, I like it. Um, I do too, yeah. I say thank you to Siri. Mm-hmm. And she tells me I shouldn't, but I do. And if you don't have an iPhone, seriously, that is something that happens. If you thank Siri, she'll say something like, 
uh, no thanks necessary or I aim to please or something along those lines. She, she's, not, she's not great at taking the thanks. The reason I personally do that is because I'm assuming that every interaction that I have with Siri goes back to some team somewhere at Apple and, you know, they're going to tweak it and make it better and figure out how people actually use this technology. And it's going to end up being sort of an interesting sort of uh, back and forth thing. I don't think Siri is actually not accepting my thanks. But I, 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 I love her. I love her argument. I mean, it's it's actually a great argument. We're we're so surrounded by technology, we might as well humanize it, even if it's not human at all. Otherwise, we're just getting that part of the machine in a way, yeah, and end yeah. up reacting in kind of that same way, which I thought was a really neat thing. It's a very small thing. We actually get lots of very small, very quick lessons from our time with Ensign Sonia Gomez. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Jordy's whole take: uh, it's easy, you know, for you to burn out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that speech is actually great, and 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 you know he, I mean, he makes a good point. You're here, so relax. She yeah. also makes a good point. I don't know how because how I got here was by not relaxing. I had to, I. This is where the best of the best go, and it took everything I had to get here. And I, and you know, once you get there, especially if you're new, it's got to be difficult to then just go. Whoa! Now I'm on easy street, or oh, I can finally. After spending my entire life racing, I, I can now slow down, or I can at least you yeah. know calm down. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting lesson for her. Although I certainly understand how it is that she's still going to be you know like a hamster in a wheel. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's her. You know, it's funny because her earnestness as <laughs> a character is kind of almost exactly like Jordy, at least the things that we pointed out about Jordy that we sort of didn't like early on. Mm-hmm. But now we have a different Jordy than we did in the early days of season one. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's actually kind of in the early days of season one, he's almost doing the same thing that uh, Gomez is doing, right? Yeah. But he also me. was not chief engineer. I mean, maybe this is something that Jordy can do. Maybe he can mm-hmm. actually just, you know, like once he gets to a certain level, he can go, okay, well, I better be calm. Maybe that's part of Jordy's whole thing. You know, like you Maybe. just like you get there. I mean, once you're there, you're there for a reason. So, so stop freaking out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. because yeah. you got this. You just have to remember that you got it. Even when things look, um, look weird. Um, not an exact throwback to pen pals, but there was something very interesting that happened in this episode uh, with mm-hmm. Picard last week. Picard is going to let all of the people of whatever that planet was called. Drama four. Wow. Really? Oh, whoa. whoa yeah, he's going to let whoa. all the people in Drama four die because he doesn't know any of their names. He's never spoken to any of them. It doesn't matter. He's heard that there's a little girl down there, and that kind of makes him feel bad, but he doesn't know her name, doesn't have to think of it, right? Mm-hmm. When he hears Sarjenka, well, now he's got to save her because he's, mm-hmm. he's heard her, right? Mm-hmm. So here he is in engineering. Uh, standing right in front of him is this thing. And his words to Worf are, use whatever means to neutralize the invader. Which is really a wonderfully dispassionate way of saying, kill him. Right. (laughs) But he's not going to say, kill him, because killing is sort of repugnant, and him would be a person. So standing right in front of him, he's like, yeah, uh, take care of whatever that is, won't you? I mean, yeah. it's basically his thing. And that was kind of a fascinating, uh, fascinating turn of phrase from from our captain. Well, there was, uh, there, there's a lot about death in this episode that we could uh, we could kind of get our hands around. Um, 
there is, you know, of course, that big moment where the the Borg cube slices out a chunk of the Enterprise. A good effect, by the yeah. way. I thought that was really interesting to look at. And uh, and terrifying because you know what happens when there is even the tiniest of hull breach. But now you're pulling out a whole section. And um, 18 people are gone. <laughs> Sonia freaks out. Okay, yeah, so yeah. Sonia freaks out. Jordy tells her, "We'll have time to grieve later." Yeah, and then it, it, I, I thought equally as interesting. Worf reports to Picard. We we have that list of the eighteen who are missing, and Picard cancels the transmission of those casualties. Yeah. I mean, Worf was about to show him. Here is where we got. Picard's like, "I don't have time for this. I don't have time to look at the names of the people who died." Yeah. Um, which, in fairness, he did not have time right then. He absolutely did not. That, no, that actually no. seemed like a yeah. <laughs> like bad form on Worf's part. Yeah. Hey, yeah. head of security, do me a favor. Let's not put the immemorial reel together now. Right. Why right. don't we wait until, you know, there's nothing else for security to do? Right. But I was reminded <laughs> of that conversation um, with, uh, uh, with Wesley. When mm-hmm. Wesley is act, asking the captain, how do you deal with that when people die? When when they had just watched, um, was it the Yamato? Yes. Uh, get destroyed, yes. Yes. Um, how do you deal with that? What makes it so easy for you? Because it's not easy, but you, you do it. You do the job and, and you'll learn it one day. So here we get to see people going on with the job and continuing to do it and deciding that they'll grieve later. We won't see those scenes of them grieving, by the way. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we have to assume that happens, you know, between this week and next week. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. had, I had actually there was sort of a plight of the red shirts thing in this episode for me. I mean, you say the 18 people are just gone and that's actually true. Yeah. You say we know what happens to them. And I, I say that's not true. We don't know what the Borg did with that core and we don't yeah. know what that beam was doing. The, 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 the Borg core, the Enterprise, and they're like, oh, our shields are holding. So don't worry about it. We're all fine. Well, except for the 18 people that they took. And right. immediately they're like, oh, well, those people are dead. 18 people were in the section that were missing. And Picard says, well, then let's go sit and talk about what we're going to do next. I was a little surprised that they didn't like immediately launch a rescue party over to the Borg ship because the Borg mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. take or the Borg takes, I don't know how you say it. Right. The Borg cube takes that section what it does with that section, I don't know. But how do we know that those 18 people aren't like hamsters in a cage now? Yeah. Did no attempt to find out if they were alive or dead. There's like, oh, there were 18 people and now there aren't 18 people. Should we do something about the 18 people? Well, I'll look up their names and we can feel bad about them later if you want. Right. Right. <laughs> Should we not have? Because, right. I mean, if the captain had been in the core that was taken, man, Riker couldn't have gotten over to the Borg ship fast enough. Yeah. But yeah. the other 18 people, well, you know, anybody we know, well, I can look up their names. Nah, there's no time for that. If you don't see anybody <laughs> missing that you don't know, then don't worry about it. We'll, we'll feel bad later. It just struck me as kind of, uh, struck me as kind of odd. We had a, um, do you mind if I, I go back? We had a, somebody write yeah. in a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. uh, about the Royale mm-hmm. to say, so they found a dead earthling in the Royale. And when they left, they were just like, wow, glad we're out of there. Didn't do anything about getting the remains of the guy from the Royale. Right. The uh, the astronaut. 
this strikes me as actually worse than that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Yeah. We don't know that they're dead, but yeah. we're, we're just not even going to worry about them. And remember specifically, because it, it, it bears repeating here, because, yes, the, there may be a lot of Borg knowledge to come later down the road, mm-hmm. but we're focused on what happens here mm-hmm. and specifically what we know about the Borg here in this episode and this episode only. And to your point, we have no idea what has happened to those people. Yeah. Um, was it just a Borg experiment to see what happens to humans when you suck them out of a spaceship? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we we actually don't know what happened. There is to them. no and, yeah, telling I, what happens to them in this, and yeah. and of course and, we're and trying not to you. say we're trying not to say what could what might have happened to them. It was interesting to find uh, their baby Borg. I wanted yeah. to say actually baby yeah. on Borg something something <laughs> Bert Ward writes itself all right so <laughs> these little tiny yeah, baby I, I, thought borg. A, I thought a baby borg was that baby borg is that thing that people wear like around their chest to, to carry the baby yeah yeah that's, yeah, okay. that's, yeah. yeah i've got baby on board stuck in my head though so uh-huh. really nothing right. i can do now um it was interesting to see that they're a baby borg and i'm trying to figure out uh, so uh, what's tending them exactly is that something like, uh, is machines. there, well, is, is it machines or is it other yeah. Borg? Is that something that every now and then they, they pop to life and come out of the wall and go and like, you know, sing them mm. multi-voiced lullabies. That in, must be in so close harmony. Soothing. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't you think so? That must wouldn't be lovely. So? Where are the Borg teenagers? That was the other thing I was wondering about. <laughs> right. Or the Borg toddlers. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry. They're 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 a nightmare. Yeah, I'll tell you that. I would imagine in, um, in more ways than one. The, the, the thing that I wanted to wrap my head around in this episode, mm-hmm. and and it, again thinking that this is just the one episode that we're talking about, and it's the the introduction of the Borg. And as far as we know, the only time we'll see the Borg, although there's that ominous sort of foreshadowing at the end that they will be back, and now the 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 Federation and everything's going to change. Uh, um is I kept trying to think about what specifically makes them terrifying and what makes them threatening. There's the look, and I talked about uh, H.R. Giger earlier because just that style is, for whatever reason, just feels sort of universally frightening. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And then I kept thinking about the idea that this enemy that is made more terrifying because there is no remorse um, it's an enemy that sees us as objects and it's kind of like a serial killer and, and his or her prey, you know, the, the, the thing that makes somebody display antisocial behavior, the definition of that kind of antisocial or psychopathic behavior is no remorse at all. The Q describes them as the ultimate user. So there is no reasoning. There is no learning and there is no humanizing that we've talked about so often before with Star Trek of how do you bridge that gap with a thing that seems like an enemy, but isn't. So you you go to devil in the dark, you go to the Corbomite maneuver or any other number of examples where there's just a level of understanding that has to come before we can kind of fix this problem and not be enemies anymore. These things are just enemies. Hmm. Um, And I was trying to think of, all the reasons that these look, look like threats, you know, uh, uh, or, or, or better yet. And I think you've got a note on this, too, about the, the Borg representing something that is threatening. Yeah. Um, 
So hopefully it's the beginning of many conversations about the Borg should they show up in the future. Well, they're too good a bad guy to not. I mean, they really, this just hits a mark. It's amazing to me when you go back to whatever the, whatever the Ferengi episode, the first Ferengi episode was, it's amazing to me that they thought that that was ever going to be the bad guy. And it was the, it was the portal. Yeah. And I can't, I still can't remember the name of the episode. Surprise, surprise. I can't remember the name of the episode. It's the one with the thing. And the guy looks like Angela Aaron's and you know, I, yeah. (laughs) So he does. He absolutely does. Yeah. That's another thing for another thing. You see, I've always thought of the Borg as sort of an implacable and I'm sorry. I've never thought of the Borg before because this is the first time. Right. Okay. Not crossing the timeline. Guinan indicates that if the Federation were further along, they might be able to establish some sort of relationship with the Borg. As it stands right now, the Federation is just raw materials as far as they're concerned. That's Guinan's take. And Guinan has had some time to think about this. She was not on her planet when her planet was destroyed, but we know that she was alive when it happened because she said that that happened 100 years ago. And Q says he hasn't seen Guinan in 200 years. Mm-hmm. And maybe has, Guinan has magical powers with the little hand right. gestures. So we're learning a lot about Guinan this week. Right. But I could, yeah, I, so I couldn't help wondering what it is the Borg represents exactly. Now, maybe it's because of me. Maybe it's because of who I am. I can't escape the idea that the Borg actually represents some sort of mindless business or, or, or corporation or industrialization run amok. Um, one vast and ecumenical holding company, as Ned Beatty put it in Network. Zero feeling, zero thought for the individual. The only thing that the Borg might understand is something bigger and more advanced, right? The way Guinan sees it. Maybe if the Federation were, were or, or, or Starfleet were more advanced and they might be able to talk with the, the Borg. In other words, either a merger or an acquisition. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like it's the only yeah. thing that's really going to rattle the cage of the Borg. So I tried to think, okay, so what else could this be? Could they represent some sort of religious fundamentalism? Yeah, maybe, except there is no dealing with religious fundamentalism. I mean, Guinan's supposition is, look, you may one day hit a level with these guys, and you guys may actually be able to talk and work something out, right? There, there, There's no reasoning with religious fundamentalism. It only accepts itself. And I'm not talking right. about religion. I'm talking about fundamentalism. I'm talking about the, that 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 special, super wonderful section of any religion that'll say, you know, the only thing that's going to be good is what I've got. And so everybody else has to die. Okay. I'm not talking about you go to church on Sunday. I'm talking about everywhere you go as a church and other people are defiling it. So they all must be killed, right? Convert or go to hell and let me show you the way there. And, and it does not sound like that's necessarily what the Borg are based on what Guinan said of, you know, if you were just more on your game, if you were a little further along, you're a rookie. Come back when you're a pro and maybe you'll be able to deal with the Borg. The only other thing they could be is the boogeyman. And I mean the scary kind, not the dancing kind. Because that'd be, oh, that'd be great say, if, they, if it was like a yeah. disco cube. That, then that would be awesome. That would be yeah. So I don't know which of those things they are and I don't know what they're supposed to represent. It's really interesting to me. That Troy, you know, seems to sort of value the hive mind more than she values the individual. By the way, she's making Mm -hmm. this argument to Mm -hmm. her captain. (laughs) She's sitting there with the guy who commands her ship going, oh, yeah, the way they work is totally awesome. Because, you know, if everybody's thinking about something, you wouldn't make mistakes as if there's one guy making all of the decisions for, for everyone. 
the thing about Guinan saying that they may even at some point be able to uh, uh, have a conversation with the Borg. Mm-hmm. I, you know what? I, that just seemed to me like wishful thinking on Guinan's part. Guinan has already seen the Borg completely wipe out her people and scatter. You know, the, the remains of her people got you know scattered to the four winds. Um, that may just seem like wishful best case scenario thinking. I, I think she knows that there is no real uh, coming to terms with the Borg. You know, as you said, it is. Uh, um, a merger or, or acquisition, and I feel like it's an acquisition where you keep the name Borg on the nameplate, not <laughs> Borg and Federation and Partners. You know, well, it's a very Star uh, Trek idea, though, to think that at some point they may be able to reach some sort of understanding with them. It, 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 yeah, it, that idea for sure is is a Star Trek idea, and like I said, best case scenario that yeah. would be that thing. But I, I just, I'm not fully convinced that Guinan even thinks that that's possible. She's just saying like, look, you know, under different circumstances, but way, way different circumstances, you might be able to talk to them, but I'm not going to hold my breath for that. Um, yeah. And I don't think anybody should. Um, it, there is something interesting about fundamentalism when it comes to the Borg and, and should they show up again, I, I hope that we'll hit that, conversation again because maybe if there's more that we learn about the Borg and more nuance to them I, I think you can make that argument for sure and that fundamentalism though also applies to going back to that sort of corporate uh, idea that you that you mentioned you know just the idea of everybody sort of being of one mind mm-hmm. and zero room for individuality and it is only their way and no other way that, uh, that that is acceptable. If you're listening you know? to this and you have not heard Ned Beatty's um, monologue from the movie Network, just type that in. Mm. Ned Beatty yeah. monologue Network. Uh, it's what, like three minutes maybe total, three or four? Mm. And I know you can find it on YouTube. You should watch Network. But if you, if you haven't seen Network and if you don't have the time, those four minutes are, are stunning. I'm not saying they're good, I mean, they're great. I'm not saying the ideas that are presented are good, but the, but the, it's it's a it's a it's an absolutely amazing four minutes, um, where he lays out what it looks like the Borg might actually be. Yeah, Ned Beatty could actually, if they ever had a centralized, uh, you know, a leader or ruler or something like that, could be somebody yeah. who looks just like Ned Beatty. <laughs> oh boy, that would be cool. It could also it? not. I don't know. I don't know how he would look in a, Ge- <laughs> a Geiger suit or a Geiger suit, but we'll, uh, I guess we'll, we, we may or may not find out someday. Um, I will say there is another thing that's absolutely sort of best of Star Trek idea presented in this mm-hmm. episode. Uh, Q has been telling them this ghost story for most of Act 2. You have no idea how mm-hmm. bad things are. You have no idea what terrible is. You think you know danger. You don't know danger. And so then they end up in this, like, you know, uh, part of space where they haven't even seen the Borg yet, but Gaina knows where they are, and she knows the kinds of things that are out here, and she's like, oh, you know what we should do? We should leave. And Picard says, nah, let's poke around a little bit, you know, because we're here, so we might as well, you know, see what's here. It is a little opposite day from uh, the episode with the Traveler, where no one has gone before, and I looked that up, by the way. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to pretend like I remember, but... (laughs) They're something like 300 million year, uh, years away at, at top warp speed to getting back to where they're going, back home, rather. 
And you and I talked then about the fact that maybe they could have taken a couple of hours to actually look around and do their surveys and stuff like that. Maybe they could actually look around. Uh, Picard commends Data for thinking, oh, we should stop and look around a bit. He's like, oh, that's spoken like a true star, uh, Starfleet officer, but no, nah, seriously, we got to get home. Here, though, where there's absolutely nothing, where there's nothing cool looking, where people have been, even though the Federation hasn't been or Starfleet hasn't been, they're like, oh, yeah, let's just let's right. look around. I, I hear they're, they're, they're like lions and tigers and bears here. Let's... <laughs> <laughs> let's, go, let's go check it out. Yeah. Um, I very quickly want to uh, share a note from uh, a listener, Scott, who, uh, knowing that we were coming up upon this episode, he, he had a great uh, uh, note in there saying, um, after Picard asks for Q's assistance, Q says, another man would have been humiliated to say those words. Another man would have rather died than ask for help. <laughs> I always took this as the show telling me that another man was our own James T. Kirk. Yes. That's a really interesting idea did, um, did, and, and definitely draws uh, a wedge between who Kirk is as a captain and who Picard is as a captain. And maybe Q was there all along. Did, did you feel the same way, though? I mean, before, before, you, got, uh, before you got Scott's email? Uh, no. Really? No, no, I, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think it's a great line, and I think it's a great idea. Yeah. But uh, it didn't it didn't strike me as being specifically about Kirk. Now, Scott goes on to say that he kind of sees this as almost like thumbing the nose at viewers who weren't giving Next Generation a chance. Mm. So the, the idea of saying, like, like look, th- that's the way that the other captain did it. This is the way that this captain did it. And now we're going on with some great adventures. So, yeah, th- this other guy would have gotten killed. No, I didn't I didn't see uh, this as, um, you know, sort of giving your finger to uh, fans of the original series. I will say, though, I did feel like uh, the writers or Q or somebody were talking about Kirk. Because as soon as he said that a lesser man would do this, a lesser man would do that. Or a different mm-hmm. man, mm-hmm. or another man. I don't think he. I don't think he even said lesser. Did he? He said another man. No, he said another man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I immediately. I immediately was picturing the scene in my head where Kirk tricks Q into doing something and never admits <laughs> anything, and then you know gives him sort of a smug smile as Q goes, "Ooh," and, right, <laughs> and beams right. himself or uh, pops himself off the Enterprise. So yeah, right. I, I, I get what he's. I get what he's saying. Although I, I hate to think that it's you know. It's a fledgling series going, you know what? Screw you. We're doing it our way. (laughs) I wonder, do the little Borg babies have Borg puppies and Borg kittens with which to play? So many cues in this episode. Cues, of course, being questions, not cues, because there's only the one cue mm. in this episode. And uh, and this is the part of the time where we pose some cues, and hopefully uh, we get a little A as well. <laughs> it's starting to sound dirty. I don't even yeah, know how that I, happened. I apologize. I, yeah. It's the time of the show where we ask ourselves a few questions and, and give uh, ourselves a few answers about uh, the messages, morals, and meanings of the episode and whether or not the whole thing uh, uh, holds up. Uh, Q who, John, does this episode hold up for you? Uh, yes, um, but but not 
always in just the obvious, the Borg are creepy kind of way. Although that too, because they, they certainly are. Um, it, it holds up because I, I feel like we get to give new weight to the mission of the Enterprise. We get to see Picard worried in a way that he hasn't been before. And we get to expand the scope of the Star Trek universe a bit. Um, you know, doing mission log as long as we have, I, I kind of have a knee-jerk reaction to the idea that we have to have a big bad guy to face because Star Trek isn't always great when there's a big bad guy to face. But we do here, and it's done well, and there, there's an awful lot of mystery surrounding them. Um, you know, we're lucky that Picard didn't have to actually fight or outsmart the Borg. We, we got saved by magic. You know, we got saved by, by Deus XQ snapping his fingers saying, okay, well, you, you were, you gave me the answer that I wanted, so I'll take you away from here. Um, but now we, we end it with this new weight and this new concern on Picard, which, uh, which I thought was very interesting. I did have to wonder, did Picard's line about the, the kick in our complacency contradict the kind of universe that we have set up since episode one of next generation you know this 24th century that is more perfect more evolved than what happened in kirk's time and and in the intervening years because we have had this sort of like everybody gets along and we can talk things through or outsmart our enemies but now it seems like if these guys show up again it's just going to be ugly Hmm. um yeah so what about you? What about you in the episode hold? Well, I mean, the problem is, while we don't want to cross the timeline, while we don't want to talk about the future, almost everybody listening, if not everybody listening, knows what's coming. And so sure. it's sort of like it's sort of like going back and watching an origin story in a way to see the Borg, mm-hmm. maybe for the only time I'll pretend, or, or maybe for the first time. Is, is kind of awesome. There is a, and we know they're going to be back, even if we haven't seen another episode of Next Gen, even if we haven't seen the movies. We know they're going to be back because they've they've said this is coming, right? And even if we never saw the Borg again, or even if we never see the Borg again, it's now part of the Star Trek universe that these things are out there and these things are scary, and that may well be yeah. enough. The comic book, The Watchmen. Did you, did you read the comic book, The Watchmen? No, no, I didn't. I mean, I, I'm familiar with it, and and uh, I saw the movie. And all know, right, I have it's over thirty years old. It. It's over thirty years old. So, spoiler alert. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> at the end of it, and, and not the movie because they changed it in the movie. In the movie, it was uh, spoiler right. alert. The movie's six years old. In the movie, it was Doctor Manhattan <laughs> who who destroyed everything. It was an actual thing, right? In the comic book, yeah. what they did was they, they convinced the planet that there were aliens that could destroy the Earth. And I, I, I know it wiped out New York, and I want to say it might have wiped out something else. And I won't tell you how, how it was that that whole thing happened in case you haven't read it. But there's, there's now this alien presence. They don't know anything else about. They just know it's destructive. And, and ideally, that is going to change the world. And you're given to read in the last few pages of the comic book, you're given to understand that now there is a new peace on Earth because we've got this, you know, it has put us in this, you know, we are one thing. We are one small planet and we don't know what's out there mindset. 
Mm -hmm. Even if the Borg never show up again, we may now have that. And that's kind of interesting. My point is they've given you so much in this episode that, yeah, I think it totally holds up no matter what comes after it. Um, There's also it's interesting that Guinan, I mean, Guinan just kind of showed up in the first episode of season two. Right. Right. With no history. And it turns out she's got a history. She might have hung out with Kirk. She <laughs> right. might have babysat for Kirk because she she was like up and about and moving around and doing stuff and able to like square off with Q 200 years ago. Heck, she might have babysat Archer. <laughs> I, of that? course, must be talking about the uh, the uh, spy from the oh, car- from cartoon the, the TV series, because yeah. I don't know any other Archer in the Star Trek universe, certainly. Right. Um, it's interesting to get that kind of history and stuff as well from her. Yeah, I, yeah it's, I, I would say this is, oh, and then you also have this just amazingly, from an art direction standpoint, you have this amazingly scary alien and this amazingly scary ship. Mm-hmm. If anything didn't work, it's Ensign Sonia Gomez. Mm. I mean, that's it. And she's fine because, I mean, they get to deliver some messages and stuff through the conversations with her. She's a little too earnest, though. Honestly, I... <laughs> I, 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 in my head, I was like, I wonder how Will Wheaton would do with this. I mean, because there was some, there was, there was some very sort of Crusher esque dialogue, or some yeah. very sort of Wesley esque dialogue uh, between uh, Jordy and and Ensign Gomez. I'm glad it wasn't Will Wheaton. I'm glad they introduced another female character. I'm glad they introduced someone new to the mix. Sure. Um, but uh, her parts were probably the the, the weakest parts of uh, of really what I would say is overall a strong episode. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. I mean, it, it, I, I think just for an episode to build tension and to be scary and mm-hmm. different, I, I think it just it holds up nicely with that. You know, it, it's one thing when a show tells you, as Q is constantly telling Picard, "You're not ready. It's really scary. This is going to be difficult." But, you know, but then to actually deliver on that—that—that's what's you know. That's right. It wasn't like a is it a Mugato? Is that what they're yeah, called? Right, yeah, it wasn't right. like that. It wasn't like you know. It's like a, like in um oh oh the Holy Grail. When it's the bunny rabbit, oh, sure. you know, with the, yeah, with the, right. the big right. scary teeth. And of course, that does end up being very scary. But yeah, if it had been a monster, if it had been a blob, if it had been like a thing right. with tentacles, you know, you'd be like, ah, that's not so scary. But yeah, yeah, Q's like, no, seriously, this is gonna this is gonna screw with your head in ways you can't even imagine. And then they get there and like, well, truth and advertising, right? Because <laughs> right. man alive, this is some nutty stuff. What about messages? Um, well, I, I think there's a few in here, but I, then I kind of question the messages that I got out of it. You know, it is the message that we should be scared of the unknown. Well, yeah, well maybe weird, so. right? Yeah. 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 So and, and maybe so. Maybe we should be worried sometimes. But is that really a Star Trek message? Now, Picard seems pretty cautious anyway, except when he just decides to stick around and have a look even when he's been told to get out of there yeah <laughs> you know um but I, I i thought okay well maybe i go back to that question about uh the, that kick in our complacency line you know do we have to then redefine starfleet as something that is much more uh defensive and military because we didn't have the right level of being scared you know that uh, this this could be a shift that makes Starfleet something that you and I have thought that it is not. Right. Um, 
So, uh, so then another message. Okay, so if being scared of the unknown isn't quite the right right, right way to put it, um, we should be paranoid, or or in other words, maybe remember that you're a tiny speck in a vast universe that is trying to kill you one way or the other. Well. <laughs> There, there is actually a healthy way to have that attitude. There's a healthy way to realize that you are small and insignificant and on a small, insignificant planet in an insignificant corner of an insignificant galaxy. Sure, give yourself a little perspective, but then to just live that out being paranoid is probably not healthy either. Um, then there's humility, you know. The, the the message that we should be humble. Well, well, sure, of course. And I'd say that Picard and the rest of his crew have shown maybe a reasonable level of humility all along, um, particularly when you, go, when you go back to that trial um, in Encounter at Farpoint. They're saying, yes, you know, our people did these things. We're better than that. And even if we're not 100% better than that, we're always trying. Mm-hmm. We will always try to be better than that. Um yeah, you don't want to confuse authority with smugness. Picard has authority. Q sees it as Picard being smug all the time. Mm-hmm. Maybe sometimes he is. But but then what's the alternative? To be so afraid of possible outcomes that you never leave the couch. Um, I, I think this is one of those places where we, we kind of see that the, that the prime directive allows us reflection and reason. So we don't do something stupid. <laughs> which is kind of how we've talked about the prime directive in the past. Um, and then maybe another lesson here is to know when to ask for help. Um, but then you ask, did Picard even have a choice? And was he sincere in that moment? I feel like he was sincere in wanting to save the ship, but was he sincere in sort of groveling in front of Q? Hmm. You know, I think there are a lot of ways to read that final scene. Uh, well, not the final scene, but the final scene with Q. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of ways to be able to read that. Um, it, it's not just Patrick Stewart acting like Picard. It's Picard acting the way that Q wants him to act. At the same time, there is sincerity in it. But I think he's playing the layers in that scene. So there's a whole lot of messages, but I think those messages, y- you've kind of always got a counterpoint to every one of those messages. And that's kind of the way I I thought about it the way that I did. How about you? Well, I mean, let's not discount the messages that were given to Sony Gomez at the beginning. I mean, they really are just spelled out. And I think that's part of the reason that I was like putting Crusher in her place a couple of times, not because I'm just dying to see more Wesley on screen. I don't dislike him, but I mean, it's not like, oh, you know what we need? <laughs> More of that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, they were, they, they sort of gave her the bonk bonk on the head, uh, you know, sort of, it, it's almost like, it's almost like the writers are compelled to put in the last 30 seconds of a G.I. Joe cartoon. It, it, it almost feels like they feel like they have <laughs> to hand you a lesson someplace in there, just like give you one, uh, yeah, which I don't yeah. think that's actually a mandate, but it, it's weird how often that seems to happen. So, I mean, let's not forget those. As far as everything else, I mean, it's – Riker is smug. Riker it mm. comes across as smug to Q, and he comes across as smug to me. But here's the thing. They're within their rights to be smug where they are right now because, I mean, Picard says, look, we're ready for whatever comes, all right? We're out here. We're doing this. We can deal. And the thing is, he's right because yeah. they're going slowly out. Now, it turns out yeah. – 
something else is coming slowly in. But they are <laughs> how long? How long was it going to be at full warp? It was going to be two years and some odd months. Yeah, more than two years. Yeah. Right, and that's going flat out. And the Borg are yeah. obviously, you know, doing a little hunting and gathering. Let's say they're moving slowly throughout the galaxy, just picking stuff up. They're not. They're not heading at warp for Earth or heading at warp for the nearest star base. Now, they have apparently been closer than they are right now because this does seem to be the thing that was wiping out settlements on both sides of the neutral zone in, um, uh, what was that episode the called? Zone. The one that had the neutral zone <laughs> the neutral in it. Zone. I can't remember. What? Oh, that one. The neutral yeah. zone? The neutral zone. No, interesting. Yeah, okay. yeah so, so, I mean, it seems like the Borg <laughs> have actually been closer than they are right now if that was, in fact, the Borg that was doing that. And we are, of course, led to believe that that was the Borg that was doing that. That said, yeah. it, it, there's no reason for Picard and, and Riker to at least not feel comfortable with where they are because at the pace that they are moving, they're ready for what comes. And one assumes yeah. that they would have, you know, picked up more clues about the Borg at some point, that they would have, you know, found out more stuff as they went as, as part of their natural evolution or as part of their natural, you know, moving through time. Their natural right. moving through time is taken away from them by Q. So I, I get what you're saying about all your counterpoints, but like even when you said earlier it was a deus ex Q that got them out of mm -hmm. it, were saved by magic, we were also put there mm -hmm. by magic. This was oh, not right. like yeah, a, this absolutely. was not like a thing where we were yeah. like uh, some idiot spilled hot chocolate on the control panel in engineering <laughs> and now the, the ship's going to explode. But luckily, Q was there and he saved us. I mean, this was not yeah, they they yeah, didn't get yeah. themselves into this trouble, except that they left Earth. I mean, that's really it. I mean, right. it, it's being out in space that's getting them in this trouble. It, it, it's an interesting question. We sort of assume by the end of it that we're still going to take this slow, methodical, well. Now we know what's coming, so let's 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 calmly figure out some of the best ways to maybe deal with this thing that might eventually happen. Because you're right, it's 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 also very possible that he you know sends a, a, a message to Starfleet, and the next thing we see is some sort of just like totally teched out warrior class season three made me again, you know, with like, <laughs> right. like three more hulls on the enterprise and everybody wearing armor. Um, hopefully well, that's and, not and the that's case. The hopefully we're going to do a more, a more measured approach to a uh, more measured approach to the end. Yeah. Let's say Picard has not shown himself to be a man who acts rashly. So even if we say that Riker is smug, mm -hmm. um, the structure that, that they have in place, and, and again, the prime directive, it, it is this sort of code where you're allowing people to not act rashly and to not do stupid things and to take exploration slowly and methodically. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, Q's criticism of Picard doesn't totally hold water. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end, Picard gets to say, well, maybe we got this little, uh, this, this little taste. Um, even if it was the wrong time, it was for the right reason. So... We'll have to see what happens after that. It's kind of weird to ask this, but um, since it doesn't sound like there is any sort of hard and fast message, but do the messages that we picked up um, hold up? I think that they do, but I, I think it's less about the messages than it is about the setup. Mm. You, you know, I mean, that, that's kind of the, just the nature of this episode and, and, and knowing that we're, like I said, giving a new weight to the mission of the Enterprise and giving kind of a new weight to 
what Picard has to grapple with. Um, so, yeah, the messages are there, but I think the messages are also something that's kind of debatable and worth debating. Well, you say the messages are debatable and worth debating. And, um, you know, if, as it seems, the Borg eventually come back, and who knows whether they will, then we can carry on this debate another time. In the meantime, there are a few other things that we should let people know. Uh, Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Yes. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at Roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, you can check out Trek FM. That's Trek.FM. Uh, for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Ken, we're going to be back next week, and we will be talking about Samaritan Snare. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. It is the end of the show. Do you know where your captain is? End transmission. <laughs>